Welcome to Inside Pediatrics, a podcast brought to you by Children's Hospital of Alabama in Birmingham. I'm Conan Gasquay. Our topic today is feeding and language development. We're speaking with two members of our hearing and speech team about some of the issues parents might encounter as their child is developing. We're talking to Emily Swindle, inpatient speech pathologist here at Children's, and Meredith Street, outpatient speech pathologist also here at Children's of Alabama. Thanks so much for your time today. Of course. Thank you. So, Emily, we're going to start with you, and we're going to take a little bit of a look at feeding first. We'll have a few questions about that. Uh, Obviously, a very big issue, one of the first things that a child learns how to do. What do parents need to know about feeding specifically in the first year of life? Um, Yeah, so the first kind of thing that a baby learns how to do is feed, of course. And um, I think the most important thing to know for parents is that all of their nutrition in the first year of life is either going to come from breast milk or it's going to come from formula. Um, And so, you know, we obviously start introducing some solids and things later in the first year of life. But a lot of times parents can get confused about what exactly their baby needs for nutrition. And it's all going to come from that breast milk or um, formula. And there's really, you know, not a right or wrong answer in terms of like whether they should do breast milk or formula. It's kind of parents' choice and what they have access or ability to do. But that's where they get all their nutrition. And even if it is breast milk, sometimes it's coming from the bottle. Um, it yes. might have been pumped. Might have been mm-hmm. pumped milk. So bottles are a key issue. For uh, sure. Something that you know that, that parents need to understand. And one of the details is flow rate. What exactly is flow rate? So flow rate has to do with how fast the milk is coming out of a bottle when a baby is feeding. Um, and a lot of times, parents don't know that every bottle company kind of has a different version of a flow rate. It can Um, be confusing. Yes, very confusing. So uh, they kind of just assume that every company's level one is the same, but that's not necessarily the case. Is that just a matter of kind of doing some research to make sure, you know, here's level one for this company, here's level one for that company? Yeah, so for us speech therapists, we kind of have some research that we have access to that gives us information about how these different bottle flow rates compare to one another. But I would say for just the average parent, um, some things that they could know to, to figure out if it's too fast, um, there's a couple of things that they can look for um, to know whether it's coming out too fast for their baby. What are some of those things they need to watch out for? Some things that they could watch out for um, is any kind of spillage coming out of of the front of their mouth when they're drinking, um, any kind of like loud gulping while they're drinking. Um, I typically say that a baby should take about one ounce every five to seven minutes is a good pace. Um, and we want them taking their full bottle within 30 minutes. So if they're taking like six ounce bottles within five to seven minutes, that's way too fast. <laughs> it's like a fire hydrant. Um, so we want to slow that down a little bit, um, which can help us with some things like reflux and coughing and choking on the bottle as well. Are there any concerns that a parent should have about, uh, you know, taking the milk too fast or too slow? Can that lead to problems for the baby? Yeah, so um, sometimes I feel like babies who have really bad reflux, they can benefit from reducing that flow rate a little bit. That's usually our first line of defense. Um, And then the other thing that can happen is we can have some aspiration, which for those who may not know, aspiration is just a long, fancy word for uh, liquids going down the wrong way into Mm. the lungs when a baby is swallowing. Just like when we eat too fast or drink too fast and we get choked and we say, oh, that went down the wrong pipe, um, can happen to babies as well. Is there anything that um, a parent can do to kind of prevent aspiration? Is it, it and, and I guess that goes back to the flow rate, making sure you're yeah, having the right one, right? For sure, yeah. So the, one of the 
first things we usually look at is flow rate. And so if a baby is having some signs of aspiration, any kind of coughing or choking on the bottle, any kind of chest congestion with feeding, um, difficulty breathing or eye watering with feeding, those are all kind of signs of aspiration. And what we typically do is decrease the flow rate first um, and see if that improves some of those symptoms. And the flow rate also changes over time as they get older, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I typically tell parents that if their baby is getting frustrated um, because it's they're working too hard to get that formula out or it's taking longer than 30 minutes for them to finish, that's when you would want to increase to the next higher flow rate. I know sometimes we hear about bottle aversion. I want to talk about that a little bit as well. How can it, what, is, what does a parent need to do if it appears that their child just doesn't want to take the milk? Um, well, the most important thing is to remember that we want baby to be happy and comfortable during feeds. So we prioritize cue-based feeding and encourage that with our parents here at Children's. Um, that just means that we follow the baby's lead in terms of their interest in the bottle. Um, bottle aversion can look as simple and small uh, as like, I just refuse after a couple ounces. I'm just kind of satisfied and done. Um, or it can look as significant and severe as like back arching and head turning and crying and gagging on the bottle. And so we kind of want to be on the lookout for those signs. And that can affect their development, I imagine. For sure. And their weight gain and nutrition. So uh, when can a parent start exposing their child to foods other than formula in the breast milk? When, when does that kind of that process start? Yeah, every baby's different. Every baby's development is different. We tend to kind of look at their overall development and their milestones uh, instead of a certain age. I would say generally five to six months is a good time to start looking at kind of transitioning to purees or um, things of that nature. But we obviously want the baby to be sitting independently, kind of having some good head control, sitting in a high chair. And that's kind of when I would start introducing those things. Any advice on uh, managing that transition? Uh, I, I know it can be a little tricky. Yeah, a little tricky. Um, babies obviously have never put anything other than milk in their mouths, so it can be a funny experience to see their first face after their first try of a puree. Um, but we just want to continue to keep it positive. It may take several introductions to a t puree or a flavor for them to really get used to it. Um, and we just want to take it slow and, again, that positive cue-based feeding experience. How about when you're going from purees to solid foods? Uh, what do parents need to know about that? <laughs> great question. Um, yeah, I think we want to take it at the baby's pace. So if baby's doing great with purees and you want to introduce some soft solids, um, I would start there. If baby starts having some difficulty with manipulating that or a sensory you know, experience where they start gagging, I would kind of take a step back and go back to purees for a little bit longer. Sometimes the difficulty can be more sensory related where they just don't like how it feels in their mouth. But sometimes it can also be more oral motor related where they have difficulty chewing or, or weakness that makes it harder for them. Is there a point where if your baby is having trouble feeding, you need to get medical professionals involved? Definitely. So if you are seeing any kind of coughing and choking or signs of aspiration with your child when they're swallowing with a bottle or when they're swallowing with a sippy cup or a straw or even with um, solids, I would definitely talk to your pediatrician first. Let them know your concerns. And um, if the pediatrician agrees that there is some investigation that needs to be done, then I would have them put an order in for either an outpatient speech evaluation or a swallow study. All right. Very good look at uh, feeding and what parents need to know as their child is going through that process of uh, developing from a feeding perspective. I want to take a look at language now. So we'll bring in Meredith Street, outpatient speech pathologist at Children's. So Meredith, let's take kind of the same approach here and talk about sort of the milestones that a parent can expect to see over the first couple of years with language. 
Well, you're looking at a couple years, which is a lot of milestones. So what we're looking at as kind of littles, what we're looking at for infants into that first year, we're looking at, are they babbling? What kind of babbling are they doing? Or do we see it as they're only saying da, 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 da? Or are they having what we call like a variated babble? So we see uh, lots of different sounds, syllables. Um, we also look at how they are responding. So if you have, if you're talking to your baby and how they respond to you, um, oftentimes we hear from our audiologist friends that, oh, my baby's not turning to their name. Well, as my audiologist friends would probably like everybody to know, is that typically that doesn't happen in the first couple months. They're just turning, learning to turn to sounds. They're mm -hmm. learning to like just kind of in, investigate and learn about their environment. So in that first couple months, we're really just seeing like, are you exploring your world? Are you trying to make sounds, um, laughing, things like that? As we get a little bit into kind of seven to like nine months, we're looking at some children, you start using some words or what we call word approximations. So words that sound close to words, but maybe not quite accurate yet. Um, as they get a little bit older, they will... Um, kind of get a little bit more accurate with their speech sounds. Um, closer to one, we start hearing more words. Um, as we get into like one year, 18 months, we wanna hear lots more words. And then as we approach their second birthday, that's when we really wanna see closer to like 50 words and a starting of having two word phrases. A lot of those phrases include like parents' names, um, names of their animals in the house, um, addressing themselves, turning to their name, things like that. Does development vary between boys and girls or, or just from one kid to another? There is research that shows that. Um, actually, most of our assessments that we um, access kind of different, kind of separate the boys' development and the girls' development. So that is something that we look at. But again, they kind of more range by just baby to baby, too. Okay. So I guess as long as your child is sort of in that general range mm -hmm. for those milestones, then they're in pretty good shape. Yes. We don't have like a hard, fast, like at five months, they need to be doing this. At seven right. months, they'd be doing this. It's more of like a range. Like in within this timeline, we'd like to see this. Um, it's often what we like to educate parents on. Babies are a lot of like what you put in, you get out. Right. So language acquisition comes from what they're expecting exposure to and their experiences in their environment. And that kind of leads me into the next question I had, which was about interaction. How important is interaction between a parent and a child in terms of language development? Pretty, I mean, pretty significant. Yeah. So what we see is that um, throughout your day, it's hard because babies don't talk back. Right. So uh, at least not yet. So just talking about your day, putting a lot of words, um, describing things, using words for a variety of pragmatic functions. So you're talking with them, you're labeling pictures, you're looking at a lot of different things, just kind of talking about what you're doing, because they're also probably doing it with you. So you're just kind of talking about your world. Um, and in that, we see that children acquire the language that they're exposed to. So if you're going through your day and you point out comb or brush or toothbrush or food or whatever, they hear that and see that and they begin to understand and develop that vocabulary themselves. Right. And what we see is oftentimes they learn to understand the words before they use the word. So we have right. what's the receptive and expressive language modalities. And what we see is that they'll start identifying like this is the brush or this, these are my shoes before they might say shoe. 
So we often see that too. So I guess in a situation like that, you, you, the baby understands when the parent says this word to them, but they may not necessarily be ready to say it back quite yet. Right. So we just want to, as much as you're just like when you practice something over and over, the better you get at it. So the more the baby hears all of these words, all of looking at the pictures, those interactions with family. So just Talking, having conversations is a really important part of just their overall language acquisition. And I know there can be problems from time to time with language development. Is there a, sort of an indication that parents can look out for that their child might be having a problem? Yeah. So what we look for is kind of in those kind of general milestones. So closer to a year um, to 18 months, we're looking at um, are, how are they using words? What kind of words are they using? How many words are they using? Um, and then closer to two, we're looking at um, how many words again? Are we putting two phrase, two word phrases together? Um, younger age, we're lo- kind of looking at some of that babbling, some of those like pre indicators for language um so when parents have a concern we often ask like that you speak to your pediatrician that's kind of your first route um if you have further concerns definitely like consult speech language pathologists because whether or not your child's delayed we'll be able to tell you a little bit more and sometimes just give you education of like here's what to look for in the next six months Hmm. because as we know babies don't come with handbooks so (laughs) it's sometimes just nice to know that like hey in the next six months these are what to expect and here's some things to work on Always good to uh, reference whatever you can find, uh, right. you know, in, in, any kind of uh, literature that's out there, and, and, and keep your pediatrician involved as well. Very good advice there on both feeding and language development. Uh, I want to kind of bring both of you in now and talk about some of the other common questions you have. Uh, maybe picky eating, uh, it is, is, that, is that one that either of you could talk about is, is, that comes up pretty often? 100%. Yeah, yeah we see it <laughs> often, both in inpatient and outpatient, so... Um, I think we, we see picky eaters starting at even what Emily sa- said it was even like aversive to bottles. So we see children that are already showing some signs of oral aversions, and that's something we want to look at all the way into teenagers that have aversions to different foods, different textures, um, trying different foods. Um, sometimes that can be self-restricted, and sometimes, like Emily mentioned, it could be sensory-based or oral motor-based. Is Go ahead. I was just going to say that, uh, you know, as soon as you see anything that concerns you, it's always good to have early intervention for that. So just because a baby is having bottle aversion doesn't necessarily mean that later on they're going to have challenges with solids and things like that. But it Mm -hmm. is good to kind of target that early so that we don't grow into some more problems. With the picky eating specifically, is is it a good idea to kind of keep trying certain foods that maybe they've been averse to just to kind of see if they warm up to it maybe? Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. We see oftentimes that parents say like, try it, try it, try it. Well, sometimes it just means to be exposed to it, putting it on their plate, Mm. letting them touch it, letting them feel it, letting it kind of get exposed to the smells because sometimes smells can be big or small depending on your person. So um, all of those things can be their objective person to person. Um, so I think that just exposing them to foods, exposing them to cooking with you um, can really help with some of that aversiveness to things that look scary, even though yeah. they might be really yummy. They need a 
a lot of times they need several interactions with the food before they, you know, quote, master um, that food. So just because they give you a weird face once when you give them pea baby food or, you know, soft broccoli, don't just cut that off because they don't (laughs) like it. You know, kind of keep introducing. And I would say um, kind of putting, you know, two preferred foods on their plate and one non-preferred food just so that they make sure they have control over some things that they like. But also, like she said, being exposed to some of those non-preferred foods. Giving them an opportunity to kind of maybe make their way into those yeah, other exactly. ones a little bit. How about pacifier usage? Y'all hear about that a lot? Often. <laughs> I feel like parents ask a lot about what pacifier we recommend, and I don't really have a passy recommend. Mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. I just kind of feel like pacifiers are good for oral motor stimulation. So whatever pacifier your child likes, go for it. And I don't necessarily see a ton of correlation between they use this pacifier, so I must use this bottle. Because mm-hmm. um, they're kind of different. Um, the pacifier is just kind of a non-nutritive suck, whereas the bottle, they're having to kind of compress and pull and completely get that out to swallow. Um, so I, some babies are picky about pacifiers, but I don't feel like speech therapists are like, well, you must use this pacifier. <laughs> yeah. I think most of the time parents ask us about like, can my child use it? And oftentimes mm-hmm. it's just like, Emily said it's for non-nutritive sex for calming so that can teach them kind of early um, kind of self-soothe it also for some parents it can be calming for them too um, <laughs> right but we kind of look at more of like later use of pacifiers is what I often see is so we have um, children that are approaching their second birthday mm-hmm. and they're still using a pacifier at that point they don't really often need that oral motor um, component so they're not needing to practice that non-nutritive sex what we want to see um, is that they're learning to self-soothe in other ways um, or they're not talking around it. So it can have huge implications if a child is using a pacifier and talking around it because it's like talking with a stick in your mouth. Um, You learn then difficulties of um, kind of oral motor planning for speech, not necessarily for feeding. So what if you're approaching to and the child still just desperately wants that passing (laughs) and you're having a hard time getting them off of it? Uh, Any strategies for that? There's a very, I mean, there are tons of things out there for parents to like try. There are um, supplies that you can buy that kind of wean them off a pacifier. Sometimes we see that that, it doesn't matter, um, but sometimes it's a behavior modification. So using mm-hmm. a reward chart, um, sometimes people go cold turkey. It really kind of depends. And you, most parents know their baby best, so they might know which behavior strategy works best, um, but also talk to, talking to either early intervention, speech therapists, speech therapists, or doctors as well. All right. Well, this has been a very comprehensive look at uh, feeding and language and development and some of the things that y'all see. I really appreciate your time. Uh, once again, Meredith Street and Emily Swindle, thanks so much. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Inside Pediatrics. You can find more podcasts like this one at childrensal.org slash inside pediatrics.